HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, October 22nd. This is the 40th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the executive chef of an outstanding catering company based in New York City, and I will introduce him shortly. But first, as I do on every show, I will start with my PR tip, Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to always practice professionalism. Sure, there is a time for fun and play, but maintaining a high level of competence in your workplace will not only earn you respect, but it will attract the type of people and business that you want. How you carry yourself, your attitude, and even your dress make a difference in how you will will be perceived and treated. So forget amateur hour and always bring your A-game. It will lead to R-E-S-P-E-C-T, as Aretha says. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really excited about my guest. It is Matthew Riznick. He's the executive chef of premier catering company, Great Performances, which was founded in 1979 by CEO Liz Newmark, with a mission in the arts, while elevating hospitality to an art form in itself. With, a, with over 14 years of experience in the culinary, restaurant, and hospitality industry, Matthew brings his talent and passion to the company, which he joined in 2007. He navigates the fast-paced kitchen environment while accommodating guests and artists from all over the world in a multitude of venues. So welcome, Matthew. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Got you out to Bushwick. I did, and it's amazing. I think we got that wrong. 14 years? We're coming up on 17 now. Ah, 
I think that's a little old. As Sorry, I thought about it. I should have run that by you. It was it's not your fault. That's okay. That's why it's I should even, update my bio. It's even more impressive. There you go. <laughs> Fifteen is when I started wow. working. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So getting into this industry and mm-hmm. your background, how did you did you want to be a chef? Like how did how I did... didn't know I wanted to be a chef. Okay. I always knew that food was such a huge part of our lives growing up. I think the earliest memory that I've ever had was when I was about four years old, and I think my mom will probably be able to confirm that, is kind of standing on a chair Sunday, you know, around 10 or 11 at Italian grandma's house. You know, me, mom, grandma rolling out the gnocchi, grandpa's making the sauce, you know, Uncle Tony's doing his thing over mm-hmm. there. Like, everybody's kind of doing their own, you know, pieces of the puzzle for this dinner. You know, 3 o'clock, everybody comes around, you know, 15, 20 people at the table in the house and the chairs, like everyone. You know, it was just, it's really interesting just to be a part of that, just to see how, you know, food, how it brings people together, how so many life memories and life moments happen around it. Like, I was always just so interested in it and I, mm-hmm. I love to eat as a kid I was a really chubby kid <laughs> but um you know that was the Italian side of my family you know we always had gardens growing up cooking like real food was super important the other side of my family is Polish my father came from Poland you know with his family when he was about 12 years old so you know that Eastern European heritage as well again it was just nothing processed nothing you know in the microwave it was all real fresh food a lot of it we grew in our garden, you know, it was just always a big emphasis on that in my family. So I think that started the love of food itself. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when I want, went to get a job, I was 15, I just felt like I wanted to do something, wanted to work, you know, make some money. I got a job in a restaurant. I just love food, so I figured this is a good place to start at least, you know, seven bucks an hour, prep lettuce, work garmage, cold prep, you know, mop the floors at the end loved it absolutely loved it it was brutal work obviously because you're the new kid you're 15 years old maybe i even shouldn't say that i won't say the name of the restaurant because that's a little illegal but that's fine um (laughs) you know but what i loved about it not only just the food it was the camaraderie it was these guys and it was like you know hot pans and fire and food and swearing and dirty jokes and just fun and it was just for this 15 year old kid you know coming up from a fairly god what's the word um conservative background you know, it was eye-opening, and I just immediately felt this love of the kitchen and the restaurant and the camaraderie and the people and the stories, and, you know, it, it was great. I get it, because yeah. I have that love, too. Mm-hmm. I think I think it, you have to love it to get into the industry, and what's interesting, because I worked a bit in restaurants, but I ended up saying I didn't see myself forever working in them, and gotcha. now I ended up being a publicist and a radio host. So you, you but also... for restaurants. For restaurants, it, yes. In the food industry. And so you have the best of both worlds. Yes. Right? Yes. And I love that experience. But it seems so you... I mean, now you're working at a catering company. You're not... I mean, you... you in a restaurant, yeah. In a, you know, know, so you changed a little too, I but did. I'm jumping ahead. That's okay. I changed... You know, I changed a couple years into that. I started... Mm-hmm. I got a job in the front of the house. In a restaurant. Which is great experience as well. Which is great experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I managed the floor. Actually, I started as a bartender there because I had never done bartending before. And I said, you know what? I love cooking. I love the kitchen. But why don't I try this? You know, from there, I went to front of the house management and learned that aspect of it. You know, I mean, it was fun because whenever the kitchen would get in the weeds, it wasn't the best kitchen in the world in terms of organization. I would just jump back there and help out. And 
that was fun for me. I've always been kind of hands-on that way, and it pissed some of the guys off. But they eventually got used to me and knew <laughs> that I could cook and they, that I was going to help them out. It would be fine, you know. But, you know, cooks are territorial, so sometimes that... <laughs> Yeah, Sometimes but when, it gets you in trouble. <laughs> when, the, when the cook called in sick, they probably loved you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, I went to, like, I kind of had that same moment that you did or similar to it and said, you know what, maybe the restaurant industry isn't the way to go. You know, I went to college, like, just go to business school. I was like, okay, so maybe I should get a real job, you know, as I kept mm-hmm. thinking about it in my 17 or 18-year-old head because I was having so much fun at a restaurant. I was like this isn't sustainable. Like, there's no way I'm ever going to grow up. I got to go to college and get a real job. I dropped out in a year. Okay. And I was like, you know what? I can make this work. I can totally make this work. And I just wasn't feeling it. I didn't like the things I was learning. I didn't really care. I didn't see any prospects going into it. And I was like, I just want to go back to a restaurant and see what happens. So. And this was in New York City? These restaurants? Yeah. um, Well, I started in Westchester. Okay. Actually, so I was up in Westchester for my first job and then I when I transitioned to front of the house I was up in Westchester as well that's where I grew up I went out west I worked for a few restaurants in Arizona I worked for some in California I worked for hotels I worked for Marriott for a while and then I came back to New York City about 12 years ago and again I I bounce around a lot I mean the love and the like the core of it has always been in the kitchen but like I said I love seeing what the front of the house goes through. I love seeing what the bartenders go through. I love working in that. You know, when I worked at Marriott, we opened up this thousand-room hotel, nine restaurants. You know, I worked a 52-hour shift because I would, like, I'd work room service overnight as a cook. Then I'd wake up and be a waiter for brunch the next day and then, you know, be a cook in the afternoon and wow. be a bartender at night and then go back to room service because... I loved it. Like, I loved every minute of you, it. It was so much fun. You are certainly passionate. I mean, and I I truly believe that chefs have a, a different gene than the rest of us and can just go without sleep. <laughs> we can go without sleep. Yeah, it's a special And, and be Energizer people. Bunnies. Yeah. So, <laughs> so how did you get to great performances then? Well, I was working, I was working for the Myriad Restaurant Group down in Tribeca. And I left that. I took some time off. I worked for Murray's Cheese for a while because I felt that I didn't know as much about cheese as I should uh-huh. and I didn't really want a stressful job for so for about three months I worked selling cheese and it was like it was amazing I got to like sing and dance and yell and sell cheese and eat cheese all day long it was <laughs> kind of life-changing for me <laughs> in a great way but certainly not sustainable but so at this point you know I'm 20 some odd years old 24 years old I guess yeah 23 years old, like never worked catering before. I was like, I've done everything else, restaurants, hotels, retail, front of the house, back of the house, purchasing, consulting, like did Mm -hmm. it all, never done catering. So I said, okay, let me try this. So I answered Craigslist ad for pretty much the bottom of the barrel freelance kitchen assistant. I was like, I don't have any experience. I totally lied in my interview and just said that I knew exactly what I was doing and they bought it. So good. At but great performances. At great performances. Okay. Yeah. Liz knows that. Don't worry. I told her already. <laughs> I, fi- I figured your team is listening. So I bet it's, it's out fun. there. It's out there. And uh, yeah, so I started seven years ago as a freelance kitchen assistant, which is, like I said, this is the, the lowest rung that you can get pretty much. Um, I just kind of busted my ass, was on call never turned down a job, never called out sick, never came late, you know, did whatever was asked, you know, if it meant 
you know, bossing dishes or running glasses or helping with sanit or, you know, doing anything, you know, and, you know, I had a really good chef who was a real hard ass. He screamed a lot, which is cool. And I'm fine with that, you know, but eventually like he saw that he wasn't going to break me and it doesn't matter, you know, that this is my first catering job that, you know, all the years of experience was still there and I still had the talent, you know, to do something better. So then I became a freelance party chef which means that you're leading the team of kitchen assistants off-premise, right? Right. So I'm sure we'll get into how the whole structure of it works. Well, it's a you he- wanna, yeah. well no, keep going. Yeah. I mean, I wanted, I wanted to see why did you reach out to Great Performances? And because it was founded by Liz Newmark, oh, and, yeah. and it has beyond a catering company. It's just its mission, and the, everything it stands for is yeah. really special. It is. It's amazing. Like, it's such an amazing story that you know, 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago, you know, she started this company as a, an alternative way for females in the arts industry who were, you know, actors, actresses, right. To make some money on the side, you know, she saw a real niche market here and a lot of her and her friends, she was able to help support them in between gigs and things like that. And like to see, to understand those humble roots and to see how, smart Liz was in mm-hmm. terms of building this business to where it's become is incredible. I mean, that had a huge impact in my decision to really pursue them as an employer, you know, because I'm, it's part of my personality to like grow and learn and love and see and touch and feel. And, you know, I've done that throughout my whole life and my whole career. And, you know, it seems like in a, some parallel way that Liz did the same thing. Like she started this, but saw this and let's move into this and let's learn how to cook and let's, you know, let's learn how to staff and we'll bring men into the fold now and then we'll do this. And like, there's just always something new happening. And like the reason why I love great performances, the reason why I stayed here for many reasons, but there's never a dull moment ever, ever, ever. There's not one second of my day that I'm bored and it's always a challenge and I need that. And I love that. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So you basically worked your way up from the bottom to pretty much to the top. Pretty much. Yeah. So after that, I became a sous chef in the kitchen, and I just kept fighting for it, you know, and mm-hmm. just proving myself and worked my way up and up and up and up until now. And I've been the executive chef for two years now. And how many employees do you have now? Well, culinary, full-time, including... Culinary, pastry, purchasing, receiving, stewards is about 160. That's full-time. Then our off-premise team, which is our freelance team, our party chefs and our kitchen assistants, we have about another 130 that are freelance for that. So culinary employees are inching close to 300. And all together with GP, GP has over 250 full-time employees. And then I think we're coming close to about eight or 900 freelance in terms of front of the house and back of the house staff. But my team is, yeah, 300 strong almost. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a lot of people. Yeah, it's a lot of people. It's a lot of fun. Like I said, never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. Nope. Okay, we're going to take a little break here. We're going to come back and learn more about great performances. So okay. stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to the California Honey Drops on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie? Oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie? Oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie? Just for me, girl. Please don't give none away. Let it get sweeter by the day. But won't you save it, baby? Please save it. Come on and save it all for me. Oh, won't you save all your cherry jam? Oh, won't you save all your cherry jam? Oh, won't you save all your cherry jam? Just for me, girl. Please don't give none. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Matthew Risnick of Great Performances. So, Matthew, I want to find out more about the venues that you you have uh, I want to say in-house but are they would you count them kind of in-house like your exclusive venues and then you do outside the exclusive <laughs> correct so there's there's inside and there's outside okay. <laughs> internal and external as we would call it but you know great performances we operate in two sectors which is our public sector and our private sector so the private sector compromises or comprises uh, all of our social our nonprofit our corporate catering work and that can be in or out of our venues, but that's the private side to it. The public side is all of our in-house venues, our exclusive venues, which would be, you know, the Apollo Theater, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, Caramore, Chelsea Pierce, Connecticut, Jazz at Lincoln Center, Sotheby's, Wave Hill, and Musée de Barrio, International Center of Photography, Maymay Cafe, Museum of the City of New York, Signature Theater, and uh-huh. Four Freedoms Park. So those yeah. are our exclusive venues where we operate cafes and restaurants out of but we also have partnerships so wherever there's an exclusive venue contract with a restaurant or a cafe we also have the exclusive rights to cater so we're the in-house caterers at all of those locations in addition to operating the cafes and restaurants so we have the two full service restaurants which is bam cafe at the brooklyn academy of music and then dizzy's jazz dizzy's club coca-cola at jazz at lincoln center and then the rest of them are usually grab-and-go cafes. I love Dizzy's. Isn't it amazing? It's the most spectacular view mm-hmm. and the most spectacular food and music. Of course. Like, everything all together. It's insane. I it's haven't so done it in a while, but I live near there, and I would gotcha. go to the late-night session. Yeah. Which, the hang set? Yeah. yeah. That's the best part. It's, yeah. it's very cool. I, yeah. Now I have, to, I have to go again. Yeah. And you don't think of it. I mean, you're in the Time Warner building, that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Pretty much clean put together you know and there's there are musicians and there's booze and there's food and there's like great things happening in this little pocket of a very put together neighborhood you know what i mean that we love right it's so cool it is cool so what's i mean the food that you're serving how is it the same or different and i know you have a farm and you're very Mm -hmm. local so right you know Everything is different. All the venues have their own identity, their own culture, you know, and we really try to let that speak for themselves because so many of them are in cultural institutions. 
you know, the food has to always be delicious. It always has to be innovative and creative and wonderful. And that's the underlying factor of it all. It has to be sustainable. It has to fit our mission. You know, designing all the different food is one of the most fun things that I've had the chance to do. You know, there's so many caterers out there who say, I mean, we're kind of the biggest littlest company that you can (laughs) imagine. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of big box caterers out there who just have a set menu, hand it to their clients, their sales team sells that, and that's it. You know, for us, we get the most amazing requests from people. You know, in one breath, we can be doing South African food or Bangladeshi food or, you know, American food or French or Indian, it doesn't matter, like all Mm -hmm. over the place, you know, and like that's what's been really fun for me is trying to take those core values of the company, put that into something really, really creative, something I'm not even comfortable with. And like it forces me to think outside my shell a little bit, to do the research, to get the team involved, you know, and to really understand that, you know, we're, we're catering to clients who sometimes they don't even know what they want. It doesn't, and we just, we always are able to provide this service and we have an amazing design department too which helps because food and design go so perfectly together you know and again speaking to the identity of each venue whether it be one of our exclusive or just an area that we're working at we really try to meld the two areas to make a really cohesive product yeah so makes sense Mm -hmm. tell me about this Katchke farm of yours so, Katchke Farm was bought in 2007 by Great Performances, a uh, 60-acre organic farm in Kinderhook, New York. We plant, I mean, it planted on rotation, so 15 to 20 acres, you know, get planted every year. Uh, three greenhouses, which are ones dedicated to seedlings and, you know, herbs. One's a f- are full tomato, and one's kind of a fun project one. <laughs> but... um. You know, Katchke is amazing because the vegetables go to a lot of different areas. I mean, one, we have an 800-member CSA, workplace CSA. That's really cool. So every week, twice a week, we get deliveries from the farm. You know, our team, the farm team, does an amazing job of, obviously, one, growing beautiful products, bagging it, getting it down here, and then our team distributes it out to people, which is amazing because it's – it's just something that's really connected, you know, and it helps that it helps that, uh, sorry. <laughs> drew a blank. Drew a blank. That's okay. Um, what about the Sylvia center? Well, no, Let's, I still want to oh, talk about the go farm. Back? Yeah. I want to talk about the farm okay, a little more. bit more. The, the CSA is amazing. And what we do is we take the CSA is a great avenue for our food because we don't know what we're going to sell. I mean, we can write a menu, a seasonal menu, which we always do, but we don't know if, what is right there is going to be popping out of the ground precisely at that moment. You know, so the CSA is a great way to get, you know, farm fresh veggies into the hands of people who really can use them. You know, what we do as a kitchen is we make products out of the column leftovers, right? We had a bumper crop of tomatoes. You know, we have a whole line of artisanal goods, ketchup, barbecue sauce, tomato jam, salsa, salsa verde, things like that. Yeah, and that's I- a great way to use the products from the farm. I mean, we have 4,000 pounds of tomatoes that our extra, quote-unquote, this year. Our tomato jam flies off the shelves. We don't have... There's far more demand than there is supply for it. So it's a great way to utilize that. And then whenever there's another bumper crop, say, you know, we had turnip tops. Liz goes to the farm all the time. We love to go to the farm, or we love to send our cooks up to the farm to, like, 
talk just to be a little bit more connected to it, to talk to the farmers to understand where the food's coming from, you know, and having them do that is just, it excites and creates that passion. But we'll make, we made turnip top pesto. We're making habanero hot sauce, you know, we're making, you know, roasted peppers and jarring them up. And like, we do a lot of this because like, we're obviously not going to let it go to waste. We're not going to compost it. Like we have, we're going to use it somewhere. And like, that's really fun. Cause then we can get to be creative. You know, we give a lot of this stuff. We just send it to a lot of the events that we have. If it's a private home client, you know, we'll package up little perfect containers of things that we've made from the farm, you know, pickle things for the next season, cure things for the next season, and then try to design menus around them that, you know, obviously help us utilize that product, but really stay true to the ethos of our mission, which is a lot of fun. It sounds like a lot of fun and smart what you do. Yeah. Okay, can I mention the Sylvia Center Absolutely. now? Absolutely. So the Sylvia <laughs> I just don't want I don't want us not to mention it. So of course. Tell me tell me tell us about it. Gotcha. So that also in two thousand seven the Sylvia Center was launched. So the Sylvia Center is a nonprofit dedicated to teaching children how to cook and eat well with hands on experience on the farm and in the kitchen. So Catchkey Farm is home to the Sylvia Center. Um, from May through October, the Sylvia Center immerses children in the process of growing, harvesting, cooking, and eating fresh and healthy food. Um, in New York City, we work in the uh, New York City Housing Authority Community Center with school-aged children and encourage them to take on an active role in their daily diet by learning how to prepare simple, delicious, and affordable meals, which is an amazing thing. So the programs are six-week cycles, and it's it's great because... Before the program got as large as it is now, there was a lot of work that was done. There's a lot of work done now on premise in the housing authorities, you know, at different locations, at schools, upstate. But, you know, before it got so big, and we still have the opportunity to do it, we have a smaller kitchen that's attached to our main kitchen, and, you know, it's still called the kids' kitchen. Uh, The sinks are low, you know, the bathrooms that were designed have low sinks in them, too. The, the kids came here and the instructors, they came to GP and the instructors came and, you know, taught the cooking classes right next to our main production kitchen, which was so cool because, again, just seeing the, the, the light in the kids' eyes when they realized that, you know, this is, this is what food is, you know, and this is how to cook it. And this is something really, really special. It was awesome for us. And then for them to kind of walk out and we'd give them tours in the main kitchen, their jaws would drop, like blown away because they're in this little group of eight to ten people and they're you know cooking really simple food and then you know they walk onto the floor which you know has a hundred people out there it's just it's a really cool experience and something that we all just we all feel a part of yeah it's it's very nice now i need to ask you an important question well last week i had on bob marcelli of marcelli formaggi and he asked a question for you Mm because I asked him to ask you a question. So the question is, how do you get, keep, and train really good culinary talent? Noting it's, he was saying it's, it's easy to get high quality products, Mm -hmm. but what about the talent? It's, it's tough. I mean, we're lucky enough and a large enough company to have a full-time HR department, a full-time staffing department, you know, who obviously help in recruiting and training and developing staff, you know, that's one side of it. So we are lucky in that area where we're not just hunting on Craigslist for people like me, right? <laughs> um, you know, but the other part of it is the culture that we breed. And I've worked in enough places where like, we understand that 
this is a very transient business, especially catering. Sometimes, you know, especially with the front of the house, you know, this is not the main focus. You know, this is just a stop in between something bigger and better. And because we're able to understand that and to make that work, and there's always going to be attrition. But it's the culture that we have in the kitchen that it's it's more of a mentoring kitchen. I call ourselves a teaching hospital all the time, you know? Like, rarely are we going to find someone that's going to come from 11 Madison Park and say, you know what, I really want to work in catering and great performances. That rarely, rarely, rarely ever happens. We've had people, you know, work with us and get really excited and then go take jobs at 11 Madison <laughs> Park, yeah. you know? And that's okay, too, because, you know what, we build those relationships and we keep those relationships. Some of my, the guys that I've worked to with for a long time, like, even if they've gone and taken other jobs, when they have their days off, they come and work for me, you know? It's it's always about that give and take and the building of relationships, treating people really well, teaching them, showing them how to grow because that was the opportunity that I was given and that was the opportunity that I want to pass on. You know, I want those guys to understand and look back in 10 or 15 years from now and be like, you know what, that, that dude gave me a shot, you know? And like I said, I maybe scream twice a year, twice a year. We have, I've never thrown anything. I've never like, <laughs> you know... I'm not I'm not an asshole, you know, and none of our guys are. None of my production chefs or sous chefs or pastry chefs or cooks are. We all have a really, really familial atmosphere, you know? Like this is I spend more time at work than I do at home. I mean this is a second family to me and they always have been and I think they know that. I think we all feel that. It's a really, really, really communal atmosphere in the kitchen. And, yeah, I mean, everybody makes mistakes here and there, but it's really the culture that you breed is the way that you retain the staff because a lot of guys, even some of my top-level guys, you know, will tell me, listen, I got a job offer for, you know, 20 grand more a year. I was like, well, what do you want to do? They're like, I'm going to stay here because I like it. I love it. I don't just, you know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. Like, it's not always about the money. It's not always about the experience. It's about the people, you know. We have people here in our kitchen who have worked here for, 20 years or more, you know, be way before I have, you know, and I want to make sure that like, that there's respect to that, you know, and I think right. that we do, we run our kitchen really well. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Sure. Okay. We're going to take another break cool. here. We're going to come back. We're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network.
you and I been so far apart. Okay, we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Matthew Risnick of Great Performances. It is time for my speed round game. Are you ready? I'm excited. Yeah, oh, good. So I'm just going to name two things like chocolate or vanilla, and you pick your preference. Got it. All right, here we go. Vanilla. Vanilla. Yep. Fabulous. Good. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Communal table or chef's counter? Both. Weddings, social, or corporate events? Ooh. Social. I finally stumped you. Yeah, social. (laughs) How about downtown or uptown venues? Downtown. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese. No question. Sorry, pastry chefs. (laughs) Manhattan or Brooklyn? (laughs) Brooklyn. Wow, you're you're you were speedy. You definitely got that. Was we were supposed to spend ten minutes on this, huh? No, 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 no. Now we have right, we have now we have time to talk industry news. If cool. we got stuck, we wouldn't have Sounds had time. Good. Okay, so first up, I have to talk about this this conference I just went to, and it was it was an article on Cleveland.com entitled "Roots Conference at Chef's Garden in Milan Draws Lively Conversation on Future Food Issues," and it was by Joe Crea. I met Joe. So this is a two-day chef conference by Farmer Lee Jones of the Chef's Garden, and it was held at the Culinary Vegetable Institute. And it was just awesome. It was so intense, and it was it was tons of, of interesting topics being discussed, and then lunches and dinners prepared by really amazing chefs. I mean, we had this dinner in the greenhouse that was Okay, this is this is great to mm-hmm. talk with you. Two two hundred people, communal table, going all the way down the the greenhouse, and the food. The menu was five courses, cooked each course by a different chef, and they got it <laughs> down. I could not believe all the food came out hot on right. time. The service was fabulous. I was really impressed. It was plated or it was family style? Um, it was a mix. Okay. It was a mix. And, yeah. and there were pairings to go with each course. I mean, that was one of the dinners. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you do you do stuff like that all the time. I mean, we do. And we've had a lot of experience. And we've had a, the great opportunity of working with great guest chefs. You know, I mean, we do dinners from, you know, 10 people to 10,000 and above. So, we obviously know that, you know, there's certain challenges. I mean, every space has its challenge working in a greenhouse. I mean, we've cooked dinners for mm-hmm. 200 people out of what most people would call a broom closet, you know? So yeah. you got to give a lot of credit to chefs who are, especially who are used to working in restaurants and who can actually pull off a dinner in something in another venue, you know? And I mean, we've done that too. We did a dinner for Lay and Chateau, their annual dinner at Gotham Hall a few years ago, and we had, you know, 30... 35 chefs in from around the world. Most were from Europe and Asia and didn't speak English. And, you know, having that experience working with those chefs on that level and putting out food for, you know, 400 people, it was like groups of three three tables would get a group of chefs, basically, and then one chef would do the first course, one would do the entree, you know, one would do, or there was three savory courses, or one would do the dessert. And then, you know, those three, it was times 10. You know what I mean? So you have a group of three chefs times 10, for three different tables. I mean, the amount of 
pieces of the puzzle that go into something like that is tremendous. But I give I give chefs, restaurant chefs, a ton of credit when they're able to do catering style and do it that well. Yeah, well, I always love what happens is mm-hmm. the other chefs, they all go in the kitchen and they help plate. Oh, yeah. And they, it's just such, it's teamwork. And it's yeah. like you see their, their just camaraderie and, and they just make it happen. I know. That's what I love about this industry. I've mm-hmm. never been in one of those situations, especially with guest chefs, where one guest chef has thought himself above another, no matter their experience or, you know, their Michelin stars or anything like that. They're always going to just jump in and help out the guy right next to him. And I love that about this industry. Yeah, me too. Well, I'm going to use that as a segue to go into the next piece. And one of the chefs of this conference was Matthew Acarino, who I worked with a really long time ago, but he got a Michelin star from SBQR. And the Mm. Michelin guide just came out yesterday, the San Francisco one. Right. So, um... That was the next article I wanted to bring up. And the big news with that was that Corey Lee's Benno and Joshua Skeen's Sassone got three Michelin stars. And now they've doubled their three-star Michelins. And and coming close to New York. Coming close, yes. Because we have six, I believe. Right. I I think the food in San Francisco is absolutely tremendous. I was actually just there. I right. got back on Sunday. I was working, so unfortunately, I didn't have time for a tasting menu or multiple tasting menus. But, you know, what I love about San Francisco is that passion. I mean, where... And it, and it's at a smaller level. There's so many smaller places that are doing just really tremendous food, even though it can be simple. I mean, you have one of the largest growing regions in the entire world in your backyard. You know, so the amount of produce and seafood and, and meats and everything is just tremendous. And more available year round, you know, and I think that that's an incredible tool for, you know, chefs to be working with out there and that, you know, they pass that on to the diners. But I'm saying that I ate more simply, but I ate some of the best meals that I've eaten. And it was really, really important for me to understand that I don't need the three Michelin star restaurants, but the guys who are just doing it in kind of this undisclosed location, not undisclosed, but just, you know, out of the way location, they're doing it really well, and so many people are doing it really well. And I think that in a very short period of time, if not has happened already, people will start to think of San Francisco as an equal or better food town than New York. Well, I definitely think people think very highly of San mm-hmm. Francisco, and I think a lot of it has to do with that access it has to right. everything fresh and, and really local. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... it's a. Uh, it's it's easy it's so accessible so mm-hmm. you can do simpler dishes and it's just so fresh and you're just the letting the ingredients there. speak mm-hmm. for themselves exactly. which i think is important you know in new york once you get into december and january if you're going to really stay true to that local ethos you have a challenging road ahead you know right but i think that in california i think you have a little bit more to play with that's good yeah true well today in the new york times Blenheim was reviewed, and this is this is a farm-to-table type restaurant because they have a farm up in the Catskills, a uh, Blenhill f- farm, and Pete Wells gave it one star. I talked about this place in my I did a solo dining experience there, and um, it was you know his his take on it was the food was good, but there was something a little off with the service. I think he had uh, he thinks he just has uh, there was a bit of a disconnect, mm-hmm. but. Um, this I don't know. We're talking all this farm to table restaurants, and this isn't truly one. It it truly is, and it truly isn't. What I like that you know the chef is 
not pigeonholed into using just local products from the farm. That he's got sea urchin on the menu, that he's got some other things there that, you know, I mean, you stay true to your mission, you stay true to your roots, but a little bit fun here and there is totally okay. And I, I respect that because too many people do try to just stick straight to local and then they, they lose a, a sense of creativity and a sense of play and wonder and, you know, what makes being a chef fun, mm-hmm. you know? So I really, really respect that and respect what he's doing. And, you know, every day we go through the same thing that in catering, I mean, we're doing, we did 6,000 events last year, you know? That's it? That's it. I know. <laughs> I should really, you know, yeah. sales team, come on guys. <laughs> um, and it doesn't, like, we understand that it doesn't even matter if I'm cooking great food, it doesn't matter if the service is great or the design is great or the sales is great or whatever. Like everything has to come together. It has to every time, every moment, every day. And that's where, you know, I really respect, you know, this review and it was a little bit harsh, but I think it was really, it was a really good point to understand that in this industry. And that's why I love the experience that I've had working every area of it, because then you see that it needs to be cohesive. It needs to be cohesive every second of every day, every time, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, they're going to take this review and they're going to run with it and they're going to be amazing. Like, I mean, they already have the bones to be, to start of something great and they're going to, and they're going to crush it. I'm sure. But it just reminds us every day how important every department working together is and, and hitting on all cylinders. Yeah. Very true. Okay, great. We're going to take one more break here. We're going to come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. Okay. This is all in the industry and Heritage Radio Network. Oh, well, I, I just don't want to tell one. The little thing you want to know, oh, my baby. Well, I just really want to thank you for causing you. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Now, this week I checked out Uma Tamakaria. Here's the rundown. The location, the corner of 7th Avenue and 14th Street in New York City. The concept, fast casual sushi restaurant serving high-quality tamaki, or hand rolls, inspired by tamakarias in Brazil. The chef, Chris Jackal of Alonda, formerly of 11 Madison Park and I Fiori. Why did I go? Because the concept sounded awesome and I was craving sushi. My experience? I went for an early dinner on a Friday night. It wasn't very busy then, and I found, honestly, the process was a bit confusing as I didn't know who to order what from. I figured it out. Uh, It was two people in this sort of assembly line that ended up preparing my order. What did I get? The tamaki set. Two hand rolls and a side, plus water. I chose the sumi tuna roll with green apple and wasabi ginger and white rice and asara salmon with seaweed salad, creamy miso, and brown rice and a side of kale with balsamic miso. My take? Very fresh and delicious, I would, although I would have liked a little more salmon and tuna per roll and less rice. 
I also wish they offered avocado as a veg as a vegetable choice. They actually have it pictured in a photo above the counter, but it's not offered. And I love the kale salad. It had lots of sweet cranberries in it, which was a nice combo. The space, counter service with about a dozen seats at tables and some stools. Perfect for a solo bite or meeting a friend. Interesting tidbit, Uma Tamacaria is inspired by Tamacarias in Brazil, combining their joy for life with the hospitality and attention to detail of Japan. Personal fun fact, I did my solo dining experience at Olunda, which is Chris Jackal's other restaurant, on episode 4. Remember, I love my single scoop soy gelato. The cost, $18 total. Would I go back? Most likely, especially if they start offering avocado. The website is umatamakaria.com. Okay, so Matthew, Mm -hmm. it is now time for the final question. Now, next week I'm having on Helen Rosner. She is a contributor to Sever Magazine's The New Classics Cookbook, more than a thousand of the world's best recipes for today's home kitchen. I want to see if you can ask her a question. I think I may have two, but the first one... That is okay. ...is... The cookbook is titled The New Classics Cookbook. So I want to understand how they define a new classic. So is it classical dishes from, you know, French or Italian cookery that are translated into a home cook? Or is this some modern interpretation of it? And then the other one, for someone who... We do a lot of PR, we do a lot of newsletters and write recipes and things like that. You know, what's the most intimidating part of a recipe for a home cook in her experience? Great questions. Very different great questions. I like it. Cool. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. It's been fun. It has been fun. Thank you for coming on the show. Give a shout out to Jimmy Carbone, who has a Heritage Radio Network show, and he introduced us. Oh, Jimmy. One of my (laughs) old, old friends. I love Jimmy Carbone. What's up, brother? Yeah, he's awesome. Okay, so I've been talking to Matthew Risnick. He's the executive chef of Great Performances. Their website is greatperformances.com, and their Twitter is gpfood. My Twitter Instagram is at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry, and my Facebook is All Industry as well. If people want to check it out, I post a lot of um, news and photos on there. Now, as always, if you miss a live broadcast, you can always find us archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We're on Stitcher, and we're on iTunes. Thanks to my engineer, Jack, and thanks to all you out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope to have you tune in again next week when I'm back at 4 o'clock with another live show. Thanks. I'm Sherry Bayer, signing off with All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.